As Kara shared with the children, we're starting to read through the Gospel according to Mark. This is part of an opportunity we as preachers this year are choosing to undertake. You may know that in the church, in the ecumenical church, there is something called the Revised Common Lectionary where the majority of the Bible gets covered over the course of three years worth of reading. We're starting what is known as the Narrative Lectionary, which helps us stick with and move through a whole part of the Bible at a time. Our friends in the Lutheran tradition have been in the forefront of this. So let's see how it goes as we carry through this Gospel. The Gospel of Mark is uh, a Gospel of immediacy. It is frequently startling and it causes you to think and wonder a great deal. These passages are no exception. It comes directly after the third chapter where Jesus has just appointed his 12 disciples and when asked about who do we consider family, he said, family are the people who do the will of God. Here, he's starting to describe the will of God and the way we come to understand it, making use of the teaching tool of parables, which is designed to tweak you a little bit and get you thinking and wondering and chewing on something important. Here now we see Jesus beginning to teach a loud, uh, large crowd. And he had a natural microphone of the shore of the sea that was in front of him. The water would be there, his voice would sound off of that. And in his day, if you were to teach, you would sit down to teach. You'll hear this now in his story of the parables. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. You may read along in your pew Bible if you so desire. The page number is written in your bulletin. Hear the word of God. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. The other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about 
the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Now these are sown are the ones who are on the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty, sixty, hundredfold. This is the end of our first reading from Scripture today. Our second reading as we keep pushing through the Gospel of Mark continues this period of Jesus' teaching and parables Parables, by the way, are drawn from everyday common life, so you can tell they were in a farming community in that last reading. Let's hear what also is part of their world as illustration in these parables, continuing the reading in the fourth chapter at verse 21. Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under the bed? and not on the lampstand. For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. He also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with a sickle because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth, 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With, so many, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them except in parables. But he explained everything in private to his disciples. This is the end of our reading from Holy Scripture this day. The word of the Lord. Every year at a county fair, in a rural part of the country surrounded by nothing but farms, there's a corn contest. That is a friendly but serious competition among farmers to see who can grow the tastiest corn. First prize wins a few hundred dollars, but the money isn't the real prize. The real prize is pride. It's wearing the badge of honor as the county's best farmer. When the competition first started, it seemed a different farmer would win every year. That is, until Farmer Aaron entered the competition. Then it was two years, three years, five years, eight years in a row he won. And he slowly became an agrarian legend around those chain of farming communities in that county. And after a decade of dominance, a newspaper reporter visited his farm to ask his secret to his prize-winning corn. Sharing, he said. What do you mean, sharing, she asked him. Farmer Aaron elaborated, before every growing season, I take my best seed, the seed of my prize-winning corn, and I share it with all of my neighbors so that they can plant it too. She was mystified. How could that possibly be? So she asked him, how could sharing your secret weapon with your competitors help you win? After a few moments of quiet, the old farmer looked at her and said, when the wind blows around here, it carries the pollen from the corn crops all over, for miles around, from field to field, swirling everywhere. And if my neighbors grow bad corn, it ends up in my field, cross-pollinating with my corn crops until it's all just bad corn. So I guess you could say that if I want to grow good corn, I need to help my neighbors grow it too. In the parable at the heart of our passage from the Gospel of Mark this morning, Jesus tells the story of a farmer, a sower, and the mixed fates of the seeds he plants. And with all parables, there's more than one way to understand this. But if we look at the larger context of Mark, we can find an important detail. So let's turn back to chapter 1 of Mark and read what it says about the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It reads, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and your lives 
and trust this good news. Allow me a brief aside to say that while I normally prefer using terms like God's reign or God's new world because Mark uses this phrase, the kingdom of God, again and again, I'll stick with that throughout this sermon. Now Jesus, is, his mission statement in Mark is that opening line. He's come to share the good news that God's kingdom is arriving here and now, right here among us. And in our parable this morning, that's exactly what the sower is doing too. Spreading the seed, scattering the word, the gospel of God that proclaims that God's kingdom is breaking into our world. And if Jesus is the sower in the parable, then in a sense, we are too. Because if we flip ahead to the very end of Mark's gospel, and read the final words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. They begin, go into the whole world and preach this good news to every creature. Just as God made the first human being a farmer and put him in the garden to care for it, so Jesus has made us gospel farmers. Gospel farmers called to sow the seeds of God's good news and help grow the fruit of God's mysterious kingdom among us. We announce the arrival of God's kingdom not just with our words, but by living in ways that model the values and actions of the kingdom. And this congregation takes its call as gospel farmers seriously. We sow seeds of love by praying for each other, by visiting one another in the hospital, and by being there for each other in times of loss and grief and crisis. We sow seeds of compassion by hosting our PADS guests on Tuesday nights and our mobile food pantry and so many other caring ministries. We sow seeds of hope by investing in the formation of the next generations, our children and youth, as we celebrate our kindergartners at the end of worship this morning. Folks, we've got good seed here, and we're growing good crops. Praise God. But what about our neighbors' crops? How are they doing? Sometimes I wonder, do we really want our neighbors to grow good corn too? Or have we become so focused on farming our own little patch of land that we've lost sight of our neighbors' fields? When the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to Birmingham, Alabama in the spring of 1963, he came to lend his support to the ongoing civil rights struggle there joining sit-ins at lunch counters and boycotts of segregated stores. Now, even if you don't consider yourself a civil rights history buff, if you try to conjure images of the 60s civil rights movement, it's likely that images from this campaign in Birmingham will come to mind. African Americans pressed up against a wall being blasted by fire hoses a teenage boy being attacked by a police dog in the street, 
Hundreds of school children being marched off to jail in handcuffs. These were the images captured in Birmingham that turned our nation's attention to the struggle for desegregation. And then on April 12, 1963, Martin Luther King was arrested along with 50 others and taken to a cell in the Birmingham City Jail. They were arrested for demonstrating without a parade permit. While he was in prison, eight white clergymen wrote an editorial that was published in the local newspaper, essentially telling Dr. King to go back to his farm and mind his own business. Without ever explicitly naming King, they wrote, we are now confronted by a series of demonstrations by some of our Negro citizens directed and led in part by outsiders. They called the demonstrations unwise and untimely and urged the black community to pull back their support. Dr. King's lawyer brought him a copy of the newspaper to his jail cell. And in the margins of that newspaper itself, he began to pen a response, one that would come to be known as the letter from Birmingham jail. The full letter is too long for me to read to you here this morning, but I encourage you to look it up online and read it. Maybe tomorrow on a day when we honor Dr. King's life and legacy. But for now, I want to read you just a short excerpt from it that connects with our parable this morning. King writes, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what's happening in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. It's all too easy for us to keep to our own farms these days, to tend only to our own, to become narrowly focused on our family, our church, our friends, our community. But when I find myself getting stuck in that way of thinking these words from Martin Luther King echo in my mind, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. It was a similar consciousness for farmer Aaron when he realized that if he wanted to grow good crops, then he needed to help his neighbors do the same. And so I wonder, 
What would the world look like? How would the world begin to look different if each of us really tried that? How would God's kingdom be revealed if we began to live as if our own success depended on our neighbor's success? That's no easy task. But it begins by taking some small step to deepen our connection with our neighbors. Tomorrow, a group of us will travel down to the west side of Chicago, where we will gather with hundreds of our neighbors from all across the Chicagoland area to worship together and to celebrate the teaching and life of Dr. King. You can join us if you want. Or maybe you'd consider joining a small group that we're launching in just a few weeks. The group is called, Who is My Neighbor? And together they'll explore the lasting impact of racism in our country and begin to think about how we engage in conversations of racial healing with our neighbors in North Chicago and Waukegan. There are plenty of ways that we can all seek a deeper sense of interdependence with our neighbors. And when we create those connections, that's when the fruit appears. That's when the mysterious kingdom of God is revealed among us. Dr. King called it the beloved community a community where resources are shared without expecting anything in return, where inclusiveness triumphs over prejudice, love and trust over fear and hatred, peace over violence. But for Dr. King, the beloved community wasn't some utopian dream. It wasn't a vision of a society that we would just sit back and wait for God to one day make appear. It's about the present, about taking concrete steps towards creating that kind of community here and now. And God has called us to be co-workers in building that beloved community. Gospel farmers sowing the seeds and then waiting for God's grace to enter in and do the rest. Amen.